Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. Since last week, we knew that we had less than seven days to the trade deadline. We knew that trades were going to happen. But the trade that happened after, after, um, after I posted last week's episode, I don't think anyone would have predicted it to happen. And the trade I'm talking about is Kyrie Irving acts to be traded. Versus trying to make him stay and seeing what, what the Nets could do, the Nets granted his wish after uh, uh, less than uh, five days later, uh, less than actually less than three days later, he was a traded to Dallas. Kyrie Irving went to Dallas, and Brooklyn Nets got draft picks: Spencer Dunwiddie, Durian Freddie-Smith, Keith Morris accompanied Kyrie Irving to Dallas. You know, prior to the season, I talked about Kyrie Irving and Durant in this situation and what's ultimately happened in Brooklyn. But let's put things, some things into contents, contest, whatever you want to say the word. Kyrie Irving signed prior to the 2019-2020 season. In that time, not including the playoffs, he had an opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to play 278 games with the Nets. That doesn't include the playoffs. He played a total of 143 games with the Nets. That means he missed 135 games, which also means that if you do your division, he missed more than 30 games per season. Now, doesn't that doesn't mean he did literally did, but the idea that even if he even if he played 200 games it was still a lot in total games that him and Kevin Durant played this is the thing that was mind-boggling out of 278 games in the past four seasons with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving only played 74 games together think about that this signing of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that was supposed to propel this, this team to another level. It's an epic failure. There's no positive signs in the past seven, 278 games. Durant is consistently hurt. And Kyrie Irving was a diva. In 278 games, not including the playoffs, they played only 20%, 27% of the games. Isn't that crazy? Together. I mean, this is this is this this is just crazy and after the trade the nets were trying they were trying to convince the world that they were not going to trade kevin durant and they said they weren't going to trade him but even if they didn't trade him or kept him do they still make the playoffs do they still perform the way they have when Kyrie Irving and durant were with the team or do they slip and miss the playoffs, or do they become a playing team? Since Coach Vaughn had become the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets have been a, a, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. A team that, if the season had ended today, they would be in, in the playoffs, not as a playing team. But now, with about 20 to 27 games left, the question of the day is where does the season end? For th- what happens to the Nets? 
So it's crazy. And then there was rumors out there that the Nets owner purposely, purposely denied Kyrie Irving's chances of going to the Lakers. Which I get. It's crazy. I mean, everyone knew that Irving wanted to go to Lakers and play with LeBron James. This showed the Nets was ang- Nets owner was angry. And that would be too. He thought, like everyone else, let's be realistic. Everyone who saw the signing of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant thought that after four seasons, we would have seen the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals at least once in that time frame or more. We all thought that they wouldn't be one of those teams that was locked to making the NBA Finals and facing a team like the Golden State Warriors. We did not experience that. I mean, if you think about Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving has consistently made excuses. He missed games during, after the George Floyd incident. Uh, he got suspended early in the year due to um, anti-Semitic remarks or tension that he supported. He didn't. He missed games last year due to the vaccine mandate and more. I mean, the idea that this didn't work out is so crazy. To even think about. So crazy to think about. And, and he's one of the guys. I mean listen. I'll, I'll say this. I wouldn't call him an, an, a diva for not wanting the, the vaccine. I think that's. I have the. I taken the vaccine. Because I wanted to take the vaccine. But at the same time. I do think that people have a right to take it or not take it. But. If it was on the table. I would have said here, Kyrie Irving, you don't have to take a vaccination. You can get vaccinated, but you have to take these other precautionary, um, other precautionary things that you have to take. If you don't, this is what happens. That's how I would have played it. But long story short, because he didn't have the vaccination, he missed a significant amount of games last season due to that whole uh, monstrosity of the, the vaccin- vaccination issue. But as I was preparing for this podcast, Kevin Durant got traded. Kevin Durant got traded to the, to the Suns. Think about that. Why in the world would the, would the Brooklyn Nets help a team like the Suns make the playoffs or become an elite team that they already are or become a, look, or become a team that could be unstoppable? I mean, think about it. Would you do it? In the trade, it was said that Cameron Johnson, uh, Mikel uh, Bridges, and Jay Crowder and Picks was going to go to the Brooklyn Nets for Kevin Durant and TJ Warren. Now, this is a gamble. Let's be realistic. This is a gamble for the Suns. The idea that Kevin Durant has not been healthy once in the past four years, four seasons. The idea that he's never played over 80% of the games in the past four seasons is crazy. Or was it the Nets? I mean, it's just, it was so awkward that once Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went to the Brooklyn Nets, that we didn't see them together for a majority of that time. The idea that that Kevin Durant is consistently injured. I mean, what is Kevin Durant doing in the offseason to prep himself for a season? Knowing that at this age, at this moment in his career, he's brittle. Let's be realistic. Kevin Durant is brittle. Anything makes him injured. So what is he doing to uh, 
help himself not get injured? Is he gaining the is he gaining weight and turning into muscle in areas that he got got hurt in the past? What is he doing to prevent himself from getting injured? Is he still doing the same things he did ten years ago when he was in Oklahoma to prepare for the season? Because if he did, it's not working. But long story short, the idea that Kevin Durant is now with this with the Phoenix Suns is crazy. The idea that Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton have him on board. Who is going to stop the Phoenix Suns? I it, it would it just it was it's just and part of me feels like watch Kevin Durant now get healthy. Watch Kevin Durant Garnett now go crazy. Watch Kevin Garnett win a championship. I'm just saying it's kind of crazy that that this is you know this is happening. I mean the idea with the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trade, the Nets didn't get elite player back. They didn't get one guy who okay we we gave you Durant, we gave you Kyrie Irving, but where's the elite player? What do you what's the message you're saying to fans? Let's be realistic. You got some guy got too many small forwards, too many shooting guards, and too many power forwards now on your team. What are you telling your fans now? Are you being arrogant and saying, okay, we made these trades. We're still going to be a, t- a top six team that makes the playoffs. We're still going to be a team that, that's going to be 10 games over 500 or more. I, I, I don't know. This is just, it's, this is just an, an awkward thing. This is a letdown for the fans. I feel bad for Brooklyn fans because the idea that the the this tri- this tri- uh these signings happened prior to the 2019-2020 season and they thought all those things were going to happen and nothing positive happened. Things just felt like this got worse and worse for this team. But lo and behold, the divorce has happened. Mr. Kevin Durant has been traded to the Phoenix Suns. And Mr. Kyrie Irving is with the Dallas Mavericks. Early in the night, prior to Kevin Durant being traded to the Phoenix Suns, a three-team trade had occurred between the Lakers, the Timberwolves, and the Jazz. The Lakers got the best assets in the deal. They got defense. They got D'Angelo Russell. They got Beasley and Vanderbilt, which adds defense, three-point shooting, and another score for this team. Connolly gets reunited with Rudy Gobert in Minnesota. Westbrook goes to, to Utah. It is said that Utah now has four, 15, 15 first-round draft picks. On top of that, there is rumors saying that Westbrook is likely to be bought out and to sign whatever the other team wants to buy out. It happens. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker. This trade happens with 27 games left for the Lakers. Do the Lakers make it? They're not far away from a playing spot. But the question of the day is, do they manage to stay healthy? Does D'Angelo Russell, Beasley, and Vanderbilt have the perfect chemistry to play alongside Mr. LeBron James and Anthony Davis? What does this do for the Lakers? What does this do for Utah? The idea that they have 15 first-round draft picks, in my opinion, is nuts. Why? Why is it so easy to trade away draft picks? Why is it so easy for teams to say, hmm, let's hold on to these draft picks. Let's try to develop talent into, uh, talent 
and take credit that we drafted a potential all-star. We drafted a potential Envy B. Kennedy. We, we drafted a potential guy who's going to be a difference maker. Rather than make that attempt, it seems like anyone can let go. I mean, any team is willing to let go of their first-round draft picks. They don't care. And it makes sense. Because if you think about the NBA lottery, lottery kills, the, kills the whole idea of a draft. That one of the worst teams in the M- NBA, a majority of the time, would not get the first pick of the draft. Think about that. There were teams in the past five years that were like two games or three games out of out of a playoff spot, and they got a top five spot. I mean, it's crazy. Let's see what happens to these teams. You know, Minnesota and Utah are still in it, just like it's just like, just like the Lakers. But for teams like Utah and teams like the Lakers, they need a winning streak more than the Minnesota in order to get in the playing phrase. Minnesota has been missing guys like Towns and others who've been hurt and missed games. But the question of the day is, do the Lakers make it? Is this more for this season or is this more for next season, ladies and gentlemen? If this doesn't work out and the salary cap is in their favor, do they still go after Kyrie Irving? If Kyrie Irving... And the Dallas Mavericks doesn't work out. Another trade happened. Small trade, not an eye-opener, but a good role player. And Josh Herbert got traded from the Portland Trailblazers to the New York Knicks. He's a great rebounder for a shooting guard. Uh, and he adds defense. People are saying he's a Tom Thibodeau kind of player. And the Knicks didn't really give up at, uh, assets. Kim Reddish got traded from Atlanta Hawks to the Knicks a couple seasons ago. And... Nothing ever came together for him to be a heavy rotational guy. Hopefully, things work out for him in Portland. For Josh Hurt, he's coming to the New York Knicks and reuniting where Jalen Brunson both played in Villanueva. And we'll see what he does for the Knicks. Um, Let's just see. I don't know. You know, trades are funny. Everyone wants to give any of these trades... uh, an A, a B, a C, or what? A D, uh, grade. But until we see them play, is the ultimate, you know, the ultimate decider kicker for um for these trades to see how the win loss record goes. And is it A teams? The idea that Utah has fifteen draft picks, it is nuts. Do they keep those draft picks? Do they eventually trade those draft picks? Which one of those draft picks actually performs well? The idea they have 15 draft picks. How, when do we say that trading the assets away in order to acquire these first-round draft picks was worth it? How many good players do they actually have to draft in order to say that acquiring the first, uh, the 15 first-round draft picks was a good idea? I'm just asking. I don't know. But between now and later, more trades will happen. You know, is there one more blackbuster trade going to happen? Is there going to be more trades going to happen? Are there going to be trades where players like Russell Westbrook who's going to be brought out? Is that going to be a, be on future trades before the trade deadline? Guys who get acquired and then ultimately get bought out versus playing for the team they've been traded to. But let's talk about a record that was broken. Recently, LeBron James became the scoring leader, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
But then I was looking at Michael Jordan. I'm a Michael Jordan fan. And looking at the statistics of Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan played about three thousand, three or four thousand dollars, about three to four thousand games less than both LeBron James and Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But if you add add what he averaged per game and the games that makes a difference between him and Kareem and LeBron, he exceeds the record. By 4,000 points. Let's just put that into perspective. By 4,000 points. Now he didn't beat the record. Why? Because he, at one point he wanted to be a baseball player. That took him off the list. Of potentially doing it. Then like he did the first time of retiring. He retired a second time. Missed a couple seasons. And age was not in his, on his line. But even he missed a couple seasons. So you know. Lo and behold, I feel uh, Michael's better. You know, right now, Mike uh, LeBron's in the league where defense is, is, is... Okay. Strike that, reverse it. So let's look at some some things. Michael Jordan attempted two th- less than 2,000 three-pointers in his career. To be exact, is around 1,700. Versus LeBron James' 6,000-plus three-pointer attempts. Look at that discrepancy. Look at that idea. LeBron James climbed up the list by attempting more threes per game, per season, than Michael Jordan. LeBron is in a league that from the year 21, from the year 2001 until now, has embraced the three-pointers. Back in 2001-2002 season, the lowest attempt per team in attempting three-pointers was eight. Now, a majority of the teams attempt more than 20 uh, three-pointers attempts per game. Nevertheless, actually, we will experience more games in where teams are attempting 30 versus less than 20 this, this season. Isn't that crazy? Can you think about how Michael Jordan's game would have been different if his era embraced the three-pointers, can you think about how Reggie Miller, who's consi- who was considered before Steph Curry, one of the best three-pointer uh, specialists in the NBA, if he was allowed to attempt three to five more uh, three-pointers per game? Can you just think about that? Can you imagine him attempting 10 or more just like Steph Curry? Can you think about it? How- how different things would be. LeBron's in the league right now where no one plays defense. Majority of the teams allow more than 100 points per game where 22 seasons ago, prior to LeBron James LeBron James becoming uh, becoming an NBA player, there was only about three or four teams that scored 100 points per game. Majority of teams' defenses held teams under, 90, uh, under 100 points per game. Think about that. It's about 10 to 20 points less per game in terms of difference between present and past. I mean, right now, LeBron has benefited in the NBA that embraces offense, has done anything it could to embrace offense, to make offense attract fans. 
Because let's be realistic. If teams don't score, if you don't see LeBron James average over 25 points per game, are you amazed? Did you have a good, did you have a good, um, did the game that you attended to see LeBron James, was it a good game if he, if he did not score over 25 points? That's a question. But then I took a, a, another deep dive into, in, into the compare and contrast versus Michael Jordan versus LeBron, and it's the supporting cast. Kevin Love, Chris Bosh. Ability was Chris Bosh and, and, and Kevin Love. If you look at who they were as a scoring option, they're a lot better than a Horace Grant and a Dennis Rotman. Dennis Rotman never averaged over six points a game. Horace Grant wasn't a score was a little bit more of a scorer, but not at the level as Love and Bosch. Think about that. Bosch and Love can get rebounds, but the idea that they had the capability of scoring twenty point games majority of the season or at any given moment if they get hot creates attention towards their way and helps LeBron James get more uh get the court where he's getting less of the attention because if you give LeBron all the attention, guys like Kevin Love and Chris Bosch will execute and score on you versus a Dennis Rotman who's not gonna do will never uh, take over a game and help a uh, help a team uh, help the Bulls win a game if he needed to score twenty points a game or get hot or what what have you. Let's take it a deep let's let's look at it even even further. Dwayne Wade and Kyrie Irving in terms of scoring. Is a lot better than Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was an amazing defender who could play, be a small forward who kind of played like a point. But at the same time, you got to look at, man, Kyrie Irving, D. Wade, both are better scorers. Fin- uh, Kyrie Irving didn't finish his career yet, but D. Wade is most likely score more points than Scottie Pippen. That if LeBron James didn't have a great game or a great quarter or a great half, Deed Wade was could could be leaned on to to carry the load. And and puts and average over twenty points a game. I mean, let's just think about that. that uh, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, Scottie Pippen. I mean, the the idea that that LeBron had guys of this magnitude on his squad attracted the attention of the defense which gave him open lanes to score and have a good game, is crazy. And he had two of these kind of players on majority of his team. After Scottie Pippen, who are you going to say was an elite scorer? Who were you going to say that if he left the, the Chicago Bulls, he was going to lead a team to the playoffs or had the capability to, of doing that? Who? Who? I'm waiting. After Scottie Pippen, who was going to do that? John Paxton? B.J. Armstrong? Tony Kukoc? Steve Kerr? Uh, Robert Parrish, Bill Wennington, Luke Longley. Which one of the supporting cast of of um, Michael Jordan out of Scottie Pippen was a good enough player that was considered elite during the time of his years playing with, with the Chicago Bulls that could have led a team to the playoffs? Michael never had someone outside of Scottie Pippen. It was always Scottie Pippen and him who carried the load. Let's be let's just be realistic, and the idea that LeBron had those players, I felt, in my own opinion, helped him have good games, have him have amazing games 
because you couldn't leave a Kyrie Irving alone in the fourth quarter. You couldn't leave a D-Wade alone in the fourth quarter because if you did, they made you pay. You couldn't say that about any player outside of Scottie Pippen. You can't. Not, say, not saying there was never a player who had a great fourth quarter outside of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. I'm not saying that. But they weren't take they're not at the same level of a player like a D Wade, Kevin Love, Chris Bosch, and Anthony Davis. I forgot about Anthony Davis. When healthy, Anthony Davis is an elite player. So you look at that supporting cast. Anthony Davis, Chris Bosch, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and Dwayne Wade. Think about that versus just Pippen. Just Pippen. You can't say that LeBron James is a better scorer. Can't say that. You could say, if you take a step back, you could look look at LeBron James. And you know what? You could say LeBron James is actually a, a much better defender, a much better teammate. Because LeBron James has made more effort in being a good teammate versus Michael Jordan. LeBron James is such a talented defender that he could guard all five positions on the floor if needed be. If one of them was having a dominant game. And I always look at, at, at the game that happened when he was with Miami. The series, playoff series that he had in Miami versus the Bulls. Where like Derrick Rose and other players were hurt. And Nate Robinson came out of nowhere. And he had an amazing fir- like uh, first two games in the series. And then Eric Spolscher switched it up and made LeBron guard Nate Robinson. And the Bulls couldn't win at all. And then Miami... Uh, won the series because LeBron James played good defense against the, the player that was potentially going to uh, eliminate Miami Heat all all by himself. I'm the same. Can you imagine if Michael Jordan embraced threes? Can you imagine Michael Jordan versus making a layup or a fadeaway or a jump shot or a dunk? Said, you know what? I'm going to shoot five threes per game or more. Can you think about that? I mean, he didn't embrace it. He wasn't a great three-pointer shooter, but he didn't embrace it. He was in a league that didn't embrace it. The idea that Steve Kerr in his career had multiple seasons in where he averaged over 41% from beyond the arc, and he never attempted more than three-pointers per game. In this day and age, Steve Kerr would would have averaged um, between 8 and 14 three-pointers attempts. The idea that he could have been a player who could have averaged 12 to 16 points per game versus what he had and would have been a more uh, played a more pivotal role versus the role that he played with the Chicago Bulls and Antonio Spurs and, and others. Just saying. I mean, right now, I, I mean, a lot of people have said it, but right, da- right now a lot of people have said Michael Jordan probably would have averaged 40 points or more in this in this kind of league right now. And the idea that Michael Jordan had to play in the aggressive league versus this versus LeBron's soft league, the idea that Le- Michael Jordan had to gain weight and gain muscle in order to win a championship because his scoring ability wasn't gonna wasn't gonna win it. And it said it in, in that whole documentary that ESPN did. He lifted weights, and it was a different It was a different Michael, and Michael never lost after he focused on his weight training. Just saying, the idea that Michael Jordan hits has hit over eighty percent per season 
and, my, and LeBron James has never done it. Let's look at this. I looked a deep dive into the 44 games LeBron James had played this season. Do you know out of 44 games this season, 25 out of the 44 games, he never hit over 80% of his free throws? And I know some people don't like, don't probably like laughing at me right now and smirking and saying free throws. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, in close games, when you miss free throws, that's pivotal. You never want to say that you missed, that you lost a series, that you lost a game because every game you miss a substantial amount of free throws. That it was you lost by three points, and what happened? Oh, you hit less than 70% of the free throws. Now, the question of the day is if you hit 75 to 80, would you have won? Oh, yeah, you would have won. You wouldn't just have won the game, but you probably would have won the game by at least two or three points versus losing. But lo and behold, LeBron James is the great generational talent. It's hard to say if LeBron or Michael would fail in either era. Why? We never experienced it. We don't know if LeBron James could have guarded Michael Jordan great. We don't know if Michael Jordan could guard LeBron James. But I do know that when you have a lot of scorers on a team, you could spread the floor even more and an offense becomes even more dangerous because you have a lot of dangerous scorers on the floor. Michael, it was Michael and Scotty, and that's it. Others around them benefited from time to time, but they were never at the level of the supporting cast that LeBron, had, that LeBron James has had from his Miami days into the present. Just saying. So this weekend is the Super Bowl weekend. The Eagles versus the Chiefs. Andy Reid faces his old team that he's led to numerous NFC championships and to a Super Bowl. This is a game that some people had predicted we're going to face each other. I mean, this is a game where I just feel the Eagles are going to win. I feel the Eagles and the win. These have too many assets that work on the level. They're too good on both defense and offense that it is scary. Chiefs, I give Pat Mahomes a lot of credit because Pat Mahomes doesn't have an A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. He does have Khalees, but out of Khalees, after having one of the best tight ends on his squad, he doesn't have an elite receiver or a, a future elite receiver in Devontae Smith. He doesn't have that. And yet he led this team to the Super Bowl. He he won the uh, NFC Championship. I mean, this, I, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I criticized the AFC Championship because I felt like, man, he won because of a penalty. He didn't win because of a great throw that led to a field goal. He led. He won the game because uh, Cincinnati Bengals thought it was going to be okay to trying to tackle Patrick Mahomes once the play was done and, and creating unnecessary roughness against the quarterback. But you got to give the Chiefs props. you got to give Spies, uh, Andy Reid prop, props. But at the end of the day, I just feel that the Eagles, with all the assets, all the plays they have on both sides, are just the better team. You know, it's, it's going to be a crusher for Andy Reid to face his old team and lose. 
maybe Andy Reid wins. Maybe Andy Reid's experience is it is is going to be the difference maker versus the Eagles, which would be a shocker in many people's eyes. But the idea that that's a possibility is crazy. We'll see what happens. Will it be a blowout? Will it be a close game? Will it be a field goal? Will penalties be the decision maker on why this team either scored a touchdown or a field goal? Does a guy get hurt? Let's be realistic. Last year in the playoffs, even though that the Rams have won, have won the game versus the Bengals, Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. Some teams, when they lose a great, great receivers or great players, sometimes don't recover from the injury, and they end up losing games because they don't have those guys on this squad. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens this this uh this Super Bowl. Hopefully, I'm wrong and the Chiefs win. But I just think the Eagles are going to win. Let's, let me say this. As a Giant fan, it hurts to say that the Eagles are the better team. But they are. But something that that um that I wanted to say last week that I didn't get to say, but I'm going to say it this week. So, ladies and gentlemen, a little trivia. It's a little something I find interesting. So, in 53 seasons, there's one team that's had three coaches. One team. There's one team that has one has had 43 winning seasons and only 10 losing seasons. Hell, they haven't even had a losing season in the past 16 seasons. Isn't that crazy? The Pats alone have had over three head coaches in the last 30 years. Hell, do you want to know who, who I'm talking about? The Steelers. The Steelers have had three coaches since 1969. Since 1969, they've been to numerous Super Bowls. Since 1969, they have had 43 out of 53 winning seasons. Hell, Mike Tomlin hasn't had a one losing season in his career. This is a team that is just like, man, if you want to start your, your life as a fan of the NFL... You want to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. That's just that's all I'm saying. Another thing that's crazy is the other day they 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 you know and I should have talked maybe I've talked about this before but I'll talk about it again. I don't care. Fox Sports before this previous season signed Tom Brady to a ten year three hundred and seventy five million dollar contract to call games for them. The Tom Brady has retired. He has said he's going to take the 2023 season off and he will start his career as a broadcaster in 2024. But ladies and gentlemen, the idea that a man who's not going to work 40 hours a week, who's not going to work 12 months in a year, he's going to make $37.5 million is nuts, in my opinion. The idea that you've never experienced him as a broadcaster and he gets this contract. It's kind of an arrogant an arrogant move. It's like they're assuming that he is automatically going to be a great and amazing. And he has to. But the idea that he did 10 years, I would have given him three years. I would have said, okay, first two years, if you blow it out of the water, this is what we have for you. 10 years, 375. If you don't, we're going to give you this five years, 
and 200, 200 million, which is still a lot of money or whatever, or what have you, or um, all in, uh, not 200 million, five years, like 150, 160 million uh, contract. But the idea that he's going to retire and he could take his time, he's going to make $37.5 million. What the hell? is a broadcaster who's only going to do one one game per per week. He's not going to work the whole, whole the majority of the season. I, I mean, listen, in my opinion, any broadcaster that does basketball, baseball, football, soccer, or college in one year deserves that kind of contract versus a guy who's who's only going to do one game, 18 games plus and then you include the playoffs which may add more Maybe the most 20, 20 games or 30 games or 21 games. But the idea that he's going to make 37 and a half is just mind boggling. I don't know how I can wrap around my head that that is even feasible or ideal or that that was the, the, mar- the market for, for Tom Brady to be a broadcaster who has no training for this. We don't know how he's going to be as a, as a host. He's never hosted anything. Like if you told me Michael Strahan was going to get $37.5 million. After seeing what he's done with Good Morning America, after seeing what he's done with ABC and working with the guys on Fox Sports, you know what I was saying? Okay, I get it. You see what he's done? He's shown he's deserved it. I'm okay with that. But does Tom Brady deserve $37.5 million per season to be a broadcaster? No, thank you. So the other day, Steve Cohen was talking about how other teams are angry that he spent all the money that he did on the New York Mets and how other teams have been angry. And as I thought about it, that it doesn't make any sense for that to happen because baseball has teams or owners are billionaires and they don't spend money on their team at all, that they don't make effort to, to, to do it at all. And one of the teams I wanted to talk about, as the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the most winning fran- franchises in base in baseball and football in the past fifty three seasons, the Pirates are one of the worst teams in baseball over the last thirty years. This is a team that never v- invests money in the free agents. They never make effort to improve. In the past thirty years. They have been over 500 four seasons. They've made the playoffs three times in the last 30 years. I'm sorry, what? How How is that even okay? How is it How is it that this team doesn't even have a formula of success? At least with the Oakland A's, you know, yeah, you know they're not going to invest money, but they develop players good. So you know that they're going to have a period and where they're over 500, they'll make a little small attempt to stay in 500. But you also know they always end up trading their young stars to to uh, for prospects, and they restart over again. But always, it always works out to them in their favor. I mean, think about that. Think about how they never invest money. I went even deeper. Well, before I get into the owner. This is their attempt in, in upgrading the rotation. 
They signed Rich Hill, who's 42 years old, a guy who's never pitched over 30 games ever in his career, a guy who, in, in, at age 42, has hit over 180 innings once in his career. Once. And this is your idea? The slap in the face to your fans in an attempt to upgrade your rotation? And that's okay in the NF, in, in the baseball eyes? The Pirates are so bad that when contending teams see them, the Pirates are the main reason why certain teams have pulled away against teams that were right behind them. Because they knew that they had an opportunity and chance to sweep the team and win three games or two games. They just know it because the Pirates don't care. The Pirates the past two seasons have lost 100 plus games. Okay? At least 100 games in the past two years. Where's the effort to improve? Where's the... What are you trying to do to your fans? Let's think about that. But then I thought about the owner. Let's look at the owner. And, you know, owners get 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 uh, killed or prosecuted when they're racist or when they do some create a bad working environment or if they cheat or what have you. Owners who don't spend money on the team never get prosecuted. Think about that. The owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates is the 10th wealthiest owner in baseball. But we can never say since he's been owner, which is about 15 seasons or more, he has never had a season where he's invested a heavy amount of money in order to upgrade the team's rotation, bullpen, or lineup. He's never done it. The funny thing is he probably spends more money on the food that gets put into the Pittsburgh Steelers. They probably even waste food because they they probably get ready. They probably prepare for 40000 plus to f- eat food for 81 games. And if they don't have a sold-out crowd, or at least an 80% of the crowd, some of that food gets, probably has to get thrown away unless they give it to the staff. But yet he's okay paying the executive TV time, paying the players and all that. He spends more money on that than trying to make the money back where he's exceeding and making a plethora of money. I mean, what the hell? This is a, this is a sport. Baseball is a sport, ladies and gentlemen, that there's no salary cap. There's no cap. To stop you from spending. This is a sport where. You're not going to have to trade guys away. In order to get on. Uh, in order to help you. Get more players. You're not going to have to ask players. To restructure their contract. To lower the salary cap number. You're not going to have to release guys. In order to help your salary cap. Go in your favor. You don't experience that here. But yet this guy. Doesn't spend money. The Pittsburgh Spirits are destined to win nine, to lose 90-plus games this season. I guarantee it. If you want something to bet on, bet on that. I guarantee that's going to happen. And baseball's okay with it. And no one talks about it. Isn't it crazy that, that if even if you're, you, you live in Pittsburgh and you start your, your, um, 
your, you know, your life in sports. You know, if I had a kid right now, I wouldn't even train them to like baseball. Because if the Pittsburgh Pirates are not trying, I don't want to set, set them up for misery and loving a team that doesn't try to win. You want to be a Pittsburgh uh, Penguins fan? Great. You want to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? Amazing. You want to watch college hoops and, and, and root for Pittsburgh or any other team uh, that's in Pennsylvania? Amazing. But don't waste your time on the Pittsburgh Pirates because they don't try. Just saying, something has to be said. The idea that owners are okay with majority of the games for all baseball teams to average less than 75 attendance every game or a portion or half or what have you is crazy. You don't go into basketball, you don't go into hockey, and you don't go into football. Or even college troops. That, oh, no. I don't know too much about college troops. So I'll, I'll exclude that. Where it's not at least at 70% or, or more in attendance in each game. But in baseball, you do experience that. Just saying. Something has to be done. It's a great sport. Don't get angry at a guy who actually wants to see try to make his team win. Even if, the, even if every move that the New York Mets made this offseason doesn't turn out to their favor, he tried because the guys looked great enough to make them a 500 team. It just didn't work out to their favor, but he tried versus the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Robert Netting, Nutting, no effort owner, not trying to, to win owner. That's just me. So let's talk about wrestling. I think, and this hasn't been set in stone yet, Hasn't really even blossomed into anything. But Seth Rollins has done interviews on podcasts. Special and podcasts where he doesn't look like he appreciates Logan Paul. Logan Paul has done some great things. In, 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 um, has done some great things for a guy who hasn't trained his whole life to be a, a wrestler. But I think there's going to be a match between Logan Paul and Seth Rollins in WrestleMania. I'm just saying. I don't know. I could be wrong. This is just speculation. But creating heat like that right now? Come on. Just squash it with a match and let Logan Paul gain the respect from Seth Rollins and others. Just saying. So this past Monday, Monday Night Raw, Cody and Paul Heyman had a great, great promo between each other. Where both men cried and got a little emotional and got personal. Now, it was said the reason why this promo got personal and got, got to the level that it got this past Monday was because Sami Zayn has, has been doing great things. And if they want to create the same heat and the same attention, the same level of, of whatever you want to say between Cody and Roman, they had to get personal. And it was great. But then I thought about this. You know, Cody Rhodes said he's coming back to WWE because he wants to become... Walt Harry champion. His brother didn't do it. His father didn't do it. We're going to give it to him the first year. He's going to achieve everything he talked about in the first year. Why not make the fans wait? Why not let Sami Zayn be the thorn in the side of, of uh, Cody Rhodes? And actually, he wins the championship ma match. Or better yet, the match between Co uh, Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns is so good that... You have to have Sami Zayn wrestle Roman again. It can't just be one match. 
because it was so amazing. You have to have him in WrestleMania and make Cody angry and make Cody upset. Just saying, it would be interesting. Sami Zayn has done an amazing job with the bloodline and now attacking Roman. That the idea that he just gets one match, the first Friday SmackDown after Royal Lumber was amazing. And all due to Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn's interaction. Just saying, it would be interesting to see what happens between Sami Zayn and Roman if Sami Zayn wins. Does Sami Zayn force Triple H in making a triple uh, triple threat WrestleMania match between Cody, Sami, and Roman? We'll see what happens. Now, you know, I gotta put I'm gonna put myself to shame and I'm gonna put some of you into shame because this the United States and the world basically doesn't give women basketball attention. Let's be realistic. Has anyone did anyone know in the past few weeks free agents and trades have happened in the WNBA? Did anyone know that there are players that the New York Liberty acquired? That's the, is considered the new big three. I I can't even tell you if these players are great or what they do well. But ladies and gentlemen, it's true. First take is not talking about it. Fox Sports is not talking about. It. I'm not talking about it. I don't watch women's sports. I I gotta say, if if I watch anything where women are competing to win something, I would say I watch wrestling. That's it. If you talk about softball, if you talk about basketball or whatever the sport that women uh, play, I can't say that I have supported. I can't say that I've watched a complete game. I can't say if the players are is a good signing, good training for some of these teams. Just saying. We have to find ways to change that that outlook on women's sports. We have to give women's sports the same attention as men's sports. It cannot be that women who love the game just as much as men don't get the attention, don't get the same payment. Let's be realistic. Brittany Gardner, do you know why she got captured in Russia? It wasn't because she was in Russia. It's because in WNBA, they don't play 82 games. In the WNBA, they don't pay millions of dollars to their players at or at the level of the NBA. There's no twenty million or thirty million or forty million dollar women basketball player. So what do they do? They go overseas to make more money, to pay bills and to do whatever. And they love the sport so much that they go over to a country that they don't know the language and they could potentially be in danger if they go over there. And that's why Brittany Gardner went over there. Do you understand if she, Brittany Gardner, who's one of the top centers in the WMEA, was making over $20 million a year? Um, do you think she would have went to Russia? I don't think so. Or maybe she would have. Maybe she loved the sport so much that, that, that that's why she just, just can't see herself having a downtime. And that's why she went overseas. But lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, we have to do better in supporting women's sports. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Anyway, that's my episode. Go on on any podcast apps like Sony and Spotify. 
and subscribe to to my show so that you can be made aware when a new episode is available. You could follow me on all social media platforms. Have a great day, ladies and gentlemen, and even better night. Bye-bye.